Agent Power Huddle is a daily jumpstart, giving you all the tools you need to create an amazing real estate career. Led by top experts in the field, you'll learn how to sell more houses in less time while creating the life you want. Welcome to the Agent Power Huddle. Oh, you guys are in for a treat today. Mr. Robbie T, how you feeling? Dude, I am good, man. Despite my Facebook getting hacked last night, life is good. And I was cold. I don't know if y'all saw me, but I'm going to go put a sweater on. Fargo's always notorious for being a little bit cold, huh? I love it. I love it. All right. So let me give you guys a quick intro in case you don't know Robbie T. Um, I love that that's now part of your brand. It's just Robbie T, right? Oh, dude, you ever tried saying my last name? I've tried many times. I don't know how to do it. So uh, <laughs> for y'all that don't know, it's trephithrin, which sounds like a pharmaceutical drug with, let me tell you, all the problems, but none of that cash money. So that's me. So Robbie T is just a little bit better. <laughs> Awesome. I love it. All right. And, uh, and Zach or Autumn, will you make Robbie T a co-host of this Zoom? Uh, we're going to have a lot more people jumping in over the last, next minute or two. And we got people already watching on Facebook. I will monitor the comments there. And... Uh-oh. Did he just drop? We will give him a minute. I might have to step in as entertainer here. That was, that was <laughs> the funny thing is make him a co-host and then it cuts out. <laughs> That's really funny. Are you? So I, I heard you. I heard you fine. So I heard you fine, but I was frozen. Oh, you were frozen. All, everyone else's face was like, "What just happened?" So yeah, you were definitely fr right, friends. Can I get some I, head nods if he was frozen for you too? Yeah, you were definitely. Yeah, you're well, frozen. Well, then I'm gonna keep it. You're frozen. There you go. You're back now. I'm going to keep this short then. Robbie T is, you meet some, you meet, you meet a guy who's amazing. Like that's Robbie T. He's with Hatch Realty, Hatch Coaching and Consulting. He has uh, not only made thousands of calls as an ISA, he is probably one of the smartest, deepest thinkers in the world of real estate marketing connections. And he's talking today about text messaging. So in case my internet's, I'm going to figure out what's going on with my internet. I just want to turn it over to you and then I will be back here in case I freeze again. Well, you're good now, by the way, that, oh, that whole 30 seconds, you're good, I think. So Perfect. Um, appreciate you uh, for that warm up, Jesse. And dude, at any point uh, throughout this conversation, cut me off, ask any questions as my people know, um, anyone that's attended anything with me, I can be a little long winded sometimes. Uh, that's just who I am. Uh, I always jokingly tell people that I have to do this stuff to get the crazy ideas out of my head. So I don't drive my wife crazy at home talking about real estate, lead conversion, you know, all that fun stuff. Uh, to give a little more background, uh, again, Robbie T, um, biggest thing that you also know, uh, I live in good old Fargo, North Dakota. No, it's not frozen all the time. We get 95 degrees in the summer and it does get humid. Um, but we, you know, my business partners, Eric Hatch, I think Eric has been on here, the, the Agent Power Huddle a few times as well, or at least once. But uh, uh, we have a real estate team here in Fargo. Uh, it's about 52, 53 people strong. And in our model, we have ISAs and showing partners. We built our team much differently. And, you know, this year we're seeing massive success. Uh, our team is on track to sell about 1,300 to 1,400 homes. Um, and last year we sold right around 840, 850. The year before that was right around 650. So we're seeing some really great growth. And the reason I bring that up is, um, again, I can't take any of the credit. I actually haven't stepped foot in Hatch Realty. Eric is still the CEO. He runs it. And I'm like this nerd who thinks of a lot of like messaging plans, things like that. And I'm a former ISA. Uh, as Jesse said, my claim to fame is that I made 100,000 phone calls, spoke to 10,000 people, set 1,000 appointments that led to about 450, 500 closings over the following years. 
Um, and the funny thing is um, the game's changing. And I think, you know, I, this is something I want to make sure you all know about. And it's a conversation I like to continue to have because it continues to change. And really what we've seen happen is that calling leads is becoming less and less and less effective. Can I get, to, get an amen from my friends out there who are seeing this? Um, I think it was JP Morgan or one of the investment groups actually is now banning their investing um, employees from doing cold calls to random people because they've seen the data that says that cold calls, calls out of the blue are going unanswered. They're literally banning it through their whole institution. These are the guys that you would see back in the day in the boiler room dialing for dollars. It, they're literally the banking, the investment banking, you know, ether is getting rid of these, these cold calls. And the, the funny thing is the way they're advocating you should go get business now is randomly cold messaging people on LinkedIn, which is just hilarious. By the way, I don't use LinkedIn. Anyone in here use LinkedIn? I thought LinkedIn, you only sign up for it when you needed a job. So I, I, that was what I thought. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about that. So anyways, the, the reason I want to bring this up is our ISA department, we have four full-time ISAs who make all of our calls. They handle all of our leads. They do outbound prospecting. They'll touch about 50% of our business. So out of the 1,300 to 1,400 deals we'll do this year, let's just call it half of 1,300 to be, you know, make it easy. My four ISAs will touch about 650 deals between the four of them. Um, and they're all you know, mega producers, they're all licensed agents, just to give you some background. If you have questions on that, please reach out, not on Facebook right now, because that got hacked last night. Um, I'll give you my information at the end here where you can reach out to me. But what's cool about our department is because we play the game at such a high level, we see trends, frankly, years before the industry does, because we're seeing things at the minor level. And about two years ago, what we saw happen was, people were answering the phone less and less often, as all of you agreed to. But the other thing we've been seeing is people are becoming more and more frustrated when they receive a phone call. So it's not just that they're answering less, it's that there's more frustration, anxiety, and there's more people being pissed off when you call them than anything. And it's really interesting because one of my favorite coaching clients from the ISAs I, I get to coach, his name is Matt McKenzie, a dear friend of mine. I was in his wedding a few weeks ago down in Denver. Anyone from Denver in here, by the way? Y'all got some crazy weather, y'all. All right. It literally, I landed, it was 65 degrees. And by the end of that night, it was like six inches of snow. I was like, what just happened here? And this is some Fargo stuff. Um, anyways, Matt McKenzie is the prototypical millennial. And you know, he just to give you some background to give you some cred for Matt. Matt set 43 appointments in one week. He owns a record out of anyone I know. And we're not talking, hey, I'm going to get you connected via text with one of my agents, or I'm going to get you connected on the phone with one of my agents. That's not an appointment. An appointment is an intentional conversation that's being scheduled, a face to face appointment, whether it's showing a home or an in office consult or an in home consult. So just know that that's what we, how we define an appointment. But what's interesting was Matt told me he was at church one day. Matt is a fantastic drummer. All right. Um, he's in a, they're basically his church band and he was with his millennial friends. All right. So we're just going to talk about this. I'm going to pick on millennials because I am one of them. And uh, yeah, you're just going to have to deal with it for a minute. But he asked his millennial friends, he said, if you were on a website looking at some homes and 
A minute or two later, you get a random phone call from the person that owns that website. What would you do? And the, the obvious answer is they say they ignore it, right? The second said, what, he said, would you like it? And he's like, no, I, I, don't, I don't want you to call me. All right, we're going to dive into this a little bit more in a moment. And then he said, but what if I send you a text message? What if you got a text from the website that said, you know, something like, I see a Dan in front of me. All right, Dan, are you from Kansas City? Is that what KC stands for? All right, go, go Royals um, and, and Chiefs. I mean, y'all, you're spoiled with Patty. Anyways, um, hey, Dan, saw that you were looking at some homes on one of our websites. I wanted to reach out to see if you're just looking for fun or to see if you plan on making a move sometime soon. And guess what every single one of these millennials said? I'd respond to that. You see, this is what's happening. This, this is why it's so key is the, the game is changing in the sense that we got to play the game in a different medium. It used to be centered around calls, calls, calls. And what we would ask, what I just said to Dan is what I would have been saying to leads and it worked at the highest levels in the game. Well, now we're just texting it to people. And what we're seeing happen is that Oftentimes, 80-ish percent of the time, the top ISAs I, I coach and train throughout the country, they're setting appointments that have never spoken to the lead. Now, I know the, the older generations, or as my generation would call you, the boomers, right? Y'all are like, but how are you setting a quality appointment if you've never spoken to them on the phone? Here's what you need to know is people, millennials, I write this down, they are more comfortable texting you then they are talking to you. Well, why is that? I grew up in this world where when I was 13 years old, of course, I got a good old Zanga account. Anybody remember Zanga? All right, my, the real, Jesse, you remember Zanga at all by chance? The, the game company? Uh, or uh, was it, I thought it was Zanga, wasn't it? No, no, that was something else. Anyways, it was, it was a social media platform that you could completely alter. And then, of course, there was MySpace, right? Yes. Then there was MySpace and then Facebook. Well, what's happened is millennials grew up when they started adopting and using technology before any other generation. They got so used to writing their feelings, writing their thoughts, right? I grew up when I was 12, 10 years old. I was in AL chat rooms flirting with girls, that was me. And I've always jokingly told people that if you want to text leads at a really high level, you almost have to tap into your AOL chat room skills, right? But what's funny is the game keeps changing. And I think there's a couple, couple reasons why I think we're seeing the death of the phone call. I think what we need to do is I want you to write down phone calls, write down phone calls and underline it. Phone calls are inconvenient. That's why people don't answer them anymore. And they're inconvenient because I have no idea what I'm getting into. I'm committing myself to an undefined period of time. The second thing is there's a lack of control. If you're taking a random phone call, there's a lack of control. You just don't feel like you're in control. You can't respond when you want to. I think texting is becoming the primary mode of communication because you, it's so convenient and you have absolute control. I can respond when I want to. I can respond how I want to. I can respond by not responding. I have that control. And here's what we need to recognize is millennials have, and younger generations, frankly, have been spoiled with convenience and control that older generations never even thought of. 
Think about just this, right? I grew up, I remember getting my first Amazon account when I was in college at, I think I was 20 years old, whenever it was, right? What's going to a store? Like some people go to the stores and buy things online. Why, why didn't you just order that on Amazon? Right? And the reason for that is Amazon is convenient. It gives me control. I can do it at the click of my fingers. I want it now. So here's, here's the thing is texting is inherently a more convenient form of communication than a random phone call. Here's how I know this to be true, by the way. Anyone in here have like a 15 to 20 year old kid? Anybody willing to raise their hand? A 15 to 20 year old? You, anybody, anybody want to just pull out their phone and call their 15 to 20 year old and see if they answer? They don't right? They don't do it. What they do is you call and then you get a text from them saying, what's up, dad? What's up, mom? That's just how they roll. And it's because it's inconvenient for them. You know, it's really funny. Millennials, if they get a call from a friend, the only reason they answer is if they get a phone call, if I call someone, they think it's extremely urgent or the you know sky is falling. That's it. That's the only time they answer their call. You'll almost always hear like, what's, what's going on, dad? What's up? And then, of course, you're like, well, I just wanted to see if you're on your way home. Dad, why don't you just text me? This is how they're hardwired. Now, the reason this matters is, of course, millennials are growing as a general whole of the amount of home buyers and home sellers in the market. These habits are becoming more and more the normal. The other thing I want you all to know about this is that younger people always are the ones that are stupid enough to think differently. So what happens is they start doing things we never thought of. Here's how I know this to be true is that the most powerful companies today are Apple, Google, Amazon, Netflix, who were the first people to use Facebook, Amazon, Google, Netflix. It was the young people. Why? That's how they roll, right? So the point is young people, if you ever wanna see the future, if you wanna see where the puck is going, don't look at yourself. It's a terrible metric. Go look at young people and see it. Now, here's what's funny is sometimes they're wrong, kind of, right? My favorite thing to pick on right now is Clubhouse. Anybody heard of Clubhouse before? Man, that was hot for, I don't know, a day, right? I don't know if you've heard about it, but the downloads and user just completely crash, right? Um, so sometimes they're wrong, but as a general whole, what we've seen is that young people's habits become middle-aged people's habits and middle-aged people's habits become older people's habits. For example, most grandparents are more active on Facebook than young people, right? If I go talk to my brothers, it's interesting because I have brothers that are really young One's getting married in like two weeks. He's like 23 years old. It's kind of weird. Um, anyways, uh, I digress. Young people don't use Facebook. It's really unique. People 15, 25, they don't touch it. Why? Because grandma's on there. Mom's on there. It's not cool anymore, right? So they're TikTokers, Snapchat, and Instagram. Now, Facebook's brilliant, right, as a business. And of course, they own Instagram. I hope you know that. Um, but the point is that young people's trends will leak up upwards, right? And 
This is not me saying Facebook's going to die. I don't think that's at all the case. But at this stage of the life, they don't use it. Now, here, here's what's interesting, right? As millennials grow in the buyer share and the seller share, what I'm really preaching here is that you have to become more and more accustomed to texting people. That means having more and more conversations via text message. I think the next thing that's going to be the big thing, by the way, after texting is video texting back and forth because it's the combination of I can text you and we can have a conversation. You can see my face, right? And you can go back and forth. Why? Because that's what these kids do, right? Snapchatting, that's all they're doing. They're video texting each other. That's all it is. These are the things that you need to get used to. One thing that we do in our business is we use an app called Marco Polo. Is there any Poloers in here? Anyone using Polo? I love Marco Polo because it allows me to send Jesse a video text as long as I want without limits, right? If I want to text him something, I have to send a file. It becomes a huge nightmare, blah, blah, blah. With Marco Polo, I can just send a video to him. It can be 20 minutes long if I want. And then he can respond on his own time. As there's more competition in these types of spaces with WhatsApp, here's what's going to happen to more phone calls. They're going to continue to die. I think you're going to see the effectiveness of random phone calls continue to evolve and die. I actually thinking, and again, this is me vision casting 10 years from now, I think that people's phone numbers will disappear. Because what is a phone number? Y'all, you can call me crazy. And all I got to say is landline, right? But what is a phone number? It's a unique identifier for somebody to communicate with me. That's it. It's a unique identifier. Why do you need that if you have a social networking profile? Unless it gets hacked, <laughs> right? Then, then you're in trouble. This is why WhatsApp, right? If you go look, this is what I love doing. If you go look at countries that weren't as developed as some of the, you know, they call them, I don't like using developing and developed. I like using level one, two, three, and four. I read a whole book about it. In other words, level four is the United States. It's the most evolved. Lower level countries that are beginning to develop, they're skipping phone calls altogether and they're going straight to WhatsApp. They're using these things because why do you need a phone number that only allows somebody to text or call you when can you have WhatsApp or Facebook or Instagram where they can do all of it? Right? This is going to be the future. It's just this is going to take a long time for us to kill off because a phone number, just like how long were mobile phones around before people started saying, well, I don't need my landline anymore. Who has a landline? Anybody? What is a landline? Go ask somebody who's 20 years old, what's a landline? What's a home phone? So the point is, this is going to change. Um, what we're seeing happen in the market is more millennials grow more power. You got to get used to having these conversations via text. Here's what we have to do. And I, I can't stress this enough is you all need to start practicing your texting conversations because you all are overthinking the heck out of it. All right. Here's what's cool. The same principles that worked face to face or in person. And some of those key principles that I always like to name are coming from curiosity. I'd write these down coming from curiosity mirroring and matching, challenging, connecting with people, digging deeper and collaborating with people. Those things don't change when you're texting leads. 
But for us in our minds, we don't have this habit of being curious in a text message. What's funny is voice to voice, if somebody says, no, I'm just looking for fun, you're probably going to ask another question, right? If Jesse said, no, he's just looking for fun, I'd say, got it, Jesse, so you're just kind of curious. Help me understand what had you interested in real estate. I'd turn it into a question. You know what I see people do with texting? They get, oh, I'm just looking for fun. Oh, dead, gone, see ya. They write it off. No. When you were talking voice to voice back in the day, if Jesse said, oh, I'm just kind of, uh, I'm just looking for fun. I said, oh, no problem. Keep using our website. Have a great day. If I wrote him off, you'd call me a bloody idiot. Well, you should be calling yourself a bloody idiot when you do that in texting. You have to ask another question. Now there's inherently some problems with texting. All right. You will get ghosted. All right. You'll send a text. People won't respond. Inherently, what you're going to think is, oh, my gosh, they hate me. Oh, my gosh, this isn't good. Oh, my gosh, this isn't going to turn into anything. Or let me just ask you, maybe they had an Instagram notification pop up from a friend who tagged them in a photo, and now they're looking at that instead of texting you back. Happens to everybody on the time, right? Your phone is a multi-distractor. It has so many notifications. It distracts you from doing things. So you have to get very comfortable re-nudging people, right? Now you got to find really human, practical ways. The way I just do it is I would nudge people like a friend. I would do things. This is what I teach people to do. This is what our system users get is I literally say, just send them a text like, hey, Jesse, want to see if you got my last text? I'll send them a text that says nudge. I'll send them a text that says tag, you're it. Right? I'll just find ways to do that that seem human. That's it. I'll send a GIF. Y'all ever seen the GIF from Finding Nemo of the you know, uh, niece with the dentist who goes like this? Y'all ever seen that thing before? Okay, I'll send that to them. The thing has a 100% response rate, 100%. Never had somebody um, blank me on that. Granted, I've never sent it to a lead, but I do it in coaching, in friends, family all the time. My accountant, who's my uncle, who is brilliant, but I swear to God, I have to text him three times for everything. He gets that thing about once every three, four months, all right? Every time I do quarterlies or any of that trash, right? So he's getting that thing from me. The point is you got to get very comfortable doing these things. You got to get more comfortable also asking deeper questions via text, right? On the phone, we look for subtle cues. And I think this is this is the difficult piece is in person, it's easy for you to tell when somebody's emotionally flustered. It's decently easy when you're speaking voice to voice to tell when somebody's emotionally flustered, right? In person, you see their face. On the phone, you hear their tone. In the text, you have to read the subtext. And I think empathy is your superpower here. It's little things like, well, we need to get out of, a, out of our home as soon as possible. That's where you have to use the empathy of, well, why would I want to get out of my home as soon as possible? Well, something would need to be happening. So I'm going to use the question and will tell me more. I'd say, got it, Dan. So you need to move as soon as possible. Help me understand that a little bit better. I think now more than ever, open-ended questions and text are going to be the biggest moneymaker for people because it's going to get them to open up. And some people say, well, I don't want to pry. I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. You make people feel uncomfortable when you don't take a genuine interest in them. 
It's very simple. Every single one of you, the most powerful thing I could do for you is make you the center of the conversation and deeply care. It's how we're hardwired. We want to share. We want to tell other people. We're willing to pay more money to people if they ask us questions. You just got to get used to doing that in text message. That's it. And the problem is, is that we've gotten so used to the fact that we got to stay in the surface level. So here's what happens. You text people like, well, how many beds do you want? How many bathrooms? And you save search them. What I mean by that is you literally ask this, can I swear on here? BS, right? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll censor myself. You ask these BS answers that are a save search information. So what you do is you're like, I'm going to put, you know, Dan on a safe search. It's going to be great. He's going to reach out to me. I'm going to make billions of dollars when he buys a billion dollar home. And you don't do anything with it. I've met people who have literally 50 to 100,000 leads on safe searches. And I asked how many people did he sell homes to from that list last year? And the number almost always rhymes with zero. All right. It's just the way it works. Why? Because safe searches don't sell homes. They don't do anything. Not a huge fan, if you can't tell, by the way. Um, in my whole life of being an ISA, I set up 220 safe searches, just to kind of give you perspective out of the 10,000 people I spoke to. Um, but to get back to the point, in these conversations, you need to be putting these leads at the center. When they bring up something painful, don't run from it. Just like on the phone, when somebody brings up something painful, Honor it, create a safe space for it. Do the same thing in text message. It's not any different. Show empathy, be human. For the love of God, don't show sympathy, right? There's a big difference between sympathy and empathy. Dan, I'm sorry to hear that is actually dismissive. Compared to Dan, dude, that stinks. My heart breaks for you. That's empathy. Why am I apologizing, by the way? Did I do something to Dan? No, it's little stuff like this. So in texting, you have to almost envision it. It's not that much different than a voice to voice conversation. And this is the toughest thing for people to do is I will train ISAs to have these conversations voice to voice. And I put them in, in a phone and, and have them start texting people. It's like they lose all of it. Like they don't connect the dots. It's the same thing. Like they run away when somebody brings up they're going through a divorce. They run from it. No, lean into it. That's what they brought it up, not you, right? Lean into that. Man, Dan, that sucks. How's that affecting you? That's what I would do on the phone. Why am I, why am I not going to text it to him? Dan is more open. Again, millennials are more willing to text you that than they are talking about it. They're more comfortable doing that. They'll text you all day long. They'll tell you everything. My generation will text you our social security. That's probably why I got hacked. They'll text you social security, login information, everything you need to know, credit score. They're more comfortable doing that than they are talking. So you gotta get used to that. Jesse, how much time do I got left? Sadly, like three minutes. Yeah. But if you want to go, I mean, I don't know how long you have open. I mean, dude, I, I want to make sure you leave people, give them ways to connect with you if they want to yeah. go deeper. I mean, clearly, are you guys enjoying this? Isn't this incredible? Right? Connie Roller wrote the chat. This is fire. It is, dude. This is like every time I hear you talk, Robbie. So, <laughs> so if people want to learn more, because I'm, I'm guessing some of the stuff you could automate, some of the stuff you have to do yourself, where do you yeah. learn more and go deeper with you? Yeah, just go to hashcoaching.com. 
Um, I would usually say add me on Facebook or follow me on Facebook, but that ain't working today. So I don't even know if we'll have a Facebook profile tomorrow. So we'll see how that goes. I don't know. Hatchcoaching.com. Just reach out to me there. You can also email me at Robbie T at Hatchcoaching. And if you don't mind, I, I, I want to share a few more things real quick if we're cool. With dude, dude, this is for, I mean, hey, this is your show. You keep rolling. If people got to go, they got to go. We got this recorded. They can listen back in the podcast. I think this is great. So do what you, cover what you want to cover. Thank you. So what I want to talk about is uh, the crazy market we're all in. All right. Because uh, a lot of people, the thing you're probably hearing from leads, or you might even have a little interfere of, man, is this market 2007, 2008? Right, you keep hearing it. You see it in media headlines. We can blame everything on the media. That's a story for a different day. But we we see these fear headlines about are we in a bubble and this market about to crash? And I get it. I understand it because it really wasn't that long ago that it did. Right, it was 13 years ago now. Um, I'm here to tell you that this is not 2007 and 2008, and I, I want to give you stats behind it. Right, I love I love data. So here's the the first thing. Can I share my screen here, quick? All right. You can. Let's go here. I want to share this with you all. And if uh, I can send this link out or we can send it out. Um, I have to always do this because it makes me want to pay for things. All right. Here we go. Get ready to see this, my friends. This is a thing that nobody's talking about in the markets right here. What this is saying is that every year or every decade, sorry, between the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s, we built 20 million plus homes in the United States. In 2000 to 2009, we actually built 27 million homes. And how many of those do you think were built between 2008 to nine? It's close again to zero, okay? Because the market crashed. You couldn't give away homes, new builds in 2009 or 2008 to nine. So what happened, of course, was we overbuilt, number one, going into the recession. We overbuilt homes. All right. The other thing we should, should know is that buyers in 2008, 2009, uh, one of the best movies about this is The Big Short. We were just giving money away to anybody. All right. Anybody could buy a home, no income verification, no cash down, none of it. It was just like, hey, here's money everywhere. And anytime people start buying anything on leverage, it creates bubbles, right? Because we inherently are the most risky with money that's not ours, period. Secondly, we're risky with our own money. And then third, we can't take risk if we don't have money. It's just kind of the hierarchy, okay? By the way, if you want to go look at some craziness in crypto, there's people giving people 100 to 1 owns right, loans right now and leveraging crypto. Scary as hell. Just so you all know, go check it out. That's scary when you're getting 100 to 1 ratios, right? Not so. Anytime you see massive leverage take over the whole market, that's what we saw in 2007, 2008. So when the market slowed down, nobody actually had any cash in these homes. They were forced to foreclose. They couldn't afford them. And it created this downward spiral. Well, right now, if I had to guess, almost all your markets, what you're seeing is your buyers are paying cash or they have a lot of cash money. And you know, there's a lot of things going on here. Again, give me four more minutes. I'll, I promise I'll make this worth your time. What, what, we, what we see now is people are, are bringing cash. And there's really, I like to call it four different levels of buyers. So we got level one, like the best is people that have cash or they got a lot of money. So they can afford to write over offer, paying cash, and then they can guarantee the appraisal. They can do non-refundable earnest money. Why? Because I don't know, maybe they sold their Cal home in California for a million. They're buying in Austin, Texas for 500000 
and they netted and they got 750,000. They don't care. So anyway, so that's level one, right? That's the best place to be. Right after that is you got the 750 credit score buyer who has 20% down. They don't have crazy cash like people in level one, but they got a good amount of cash. All right, so those are the next people. Most people buying homes right now are level one and two buyers. Can I get some head nods if that's what you're seeing? Then you got level three. Level three would be somebody with a good credit score, right? Let's just say 700, but almost no cash put down, right? A little bit lower credit score. Have fun, you're not gonna win right now, okay? And then, or that's level three. Level four would be the 650 credit score who can buy a home. They have to go FHA or VA. You have no chance right now, none. If you have those clients right now, I coach people in Columbus, Georgia, and it's a VA heavy market. They literally can't buy homes right now. So here's the thing is most markets are seeing people buying with level one. There's cash. There's so much cash in the system. Now, people always ask, well, where's this cash coming from? And it's very, very simple, right? You're seeing a huge rotation of people out of big cities, New York City, primarily San Francisco, LA, people rotating to different areas and they're selling their million dollar homes, pulling out their 400 to $500,000 cash, moving to these markets and they're seeing, oh wow, we can get a $500,000 home that's twice as awesome as our house in LA. Deal, I'll pay 600,000 for it, I don't care. Right, and they make 250,000, $300,000 a year as an engineer for Google, they don't care, they got money. The other thing is, of course, people got the good old stimmies. And we all need to recognize there's really two different experiences during COVID. There's those that lost their jobs and went through some major hell and they're just trying to crawl out of it. And then you have the middle and upper class who came out stronger than ever. Their 401ks are at all time highs. Their money and investments are at all time highs. They weathered the storm and they didn't sell and they got that cash. Oh, and they got some stimmy money as well for a lot of them. But the other thing that people aren't talking about is that for 12 to 15 months, depending on where you're at, guaranteed your spending in 2020 was lower than 2019. Why? You couldn't travel. You couldn't go do the things that you were so accustomed to. You couldn't go to the restaurants, movie theaters, your expenditure. So what happened was saving rates went up, right? And we paid down debt, which these are not bad things. And we could talk about inflation, which is definitely happening. But the point is, this is what I'm getting at here. The point of all these things is, We've created a supply side issue because we underbuilt for the prior 10 years, right? That is right here, 5.8 million homes. Here's some, some numbers you should write down. The last time we built 5 million homes in a decade was the 1930s. 1930s, my friends. We're talking Great Depression era. Here's what's crazy about it. Guess how many people lived in the United, in the United States in the 1930s? 130 million people. How many people live in the United States now? 330 million people. Guess what the life expectancy was in the 30s? About 58, 60 years old. The life expectancy now in the United States is 78, 80-ish, depending on if you're male, female, where you live. We're living longer, there's a hell of a lot more of us, yet in this generation, we built the same amount of homes we built in the 30s. Look what happened after, right? Catching up. Now, here's the big question. People ask me, well, okay, I understand where the money is coming from now. I get it. Millennials were getting pay raises. People are making money, right? Good for them, all that fun stuff. Well, why weren't we feeling this, this last decade, right? Why weren't we? Here's why. 
People buying homes are millennials. Millennials did some unique things that most people didn't do. They text, they don't call. I just had to throw that in there. Now, here's the big thing. They grew up, I graduated high school in 2008, right? I graduated college in 2013. The market during those four years, right? This was a defining event for me in my life and for other millennials. So what we did was we're more cautious about money. We were afraid to go buy a home. So what did we do? We lived in our parents' basement for longer. We were the first generation to stay in our parents' basement for longer, right? The other big thing is we couldn't afford to buy homes. Why? Student loan debt. It hit a lot of us. So millennials were delaying and delaying, delaying these home purchases because they were living with their parents or they were renting with friends. And then on top of that, millennials loved the downtown urban lifestyle. They loved it. Well, that's great until something called COVID comes along. Then what happens is this, is could you imagine not being able to leave your house and you're stuck in your house with your mom all the time? I love my mom, but hell no, get me out. Could you imagine living in a downtown urban center and not being able to go to Broadway, not being able to live the life you want, not being able to go to bars for a year? Well, what happens, you start to rethink. Then what happens is this, is that you converge the fact that millennials are getting older, right? Millennials are technically now 40, right? Or they're hitting 40. Craziness, right? Here's what's crazy. What happens when we get older? Very, very simple. We have those things called babies. What happens when we have things called babies? We start rethinking where do we want to live? Do you want to live in an apartment if you don't have to? Nope. Do you want to live in a downtown condo or in a downtown area when you don't want to? Nope. Where do you want to live? What's the ideal place? It always has been. It's a suburban home. Better schools, safer neighborhoods, more space to play. It's what's being sought out. If I had to go guess in your market, how fun is it buying a good, well-built suburban home? Sucks. So what's happened, my friends, is this demand, we're at, we're at a converging point where we underbuilt. So supply is unbelievably low. Look at the data. And then on top of that, demand was building and building and building, hit this inflection point. And now we're crossing here. We're at this inflection point where basically the supply is so low, the demand is so high. And the only way we're going to crawl our way out of this is if we add more homes to the supply. Well, here's the thing, Jesse, if you wanted to go open up a home builder today, is it easy? No. It, you have to have a couple of different skills. You got to be a business person, a designer, an architect, right? All these different things. And you got to know how to build a house. You got to have all those things. Then on top of that, you got to get supplies, materials, labor. Okay. Supplies. Yeah. Fun. Right. I don't know if y'all saw timber recently, lumber, have fun with that. Right. Labor. The number one problem in almost every single market right now is they can't find people to come back to work. And there's a lot of things layering into this. Um, what we saw happen, and, and this is a thing that people aren't talking about, obviously unemployment benefits. I'll tell you my brother's story was he was making more money not working. It was not advantageous for him to go back to work because he was on an unemployment and he had just graduated college, was getting more money from unemployment. Now, don't get me wrong, he should go back to work or he did, but you get the point. And what happens when you're out of the workforce, your skills deteriorate, right? Your habits fall apart and communication skills fall apart. Just what happens. 
On top of that, though, we saw a record number of people leave the workforce during COVID. Um, we're now seeing, just, just um, walk through this with me. Imagine you're a family, let's again, not to sound like I'm picking on California, but let's say I'm in California and I, I have a house that costs a million dollars for a suburban, really great home, right? A million dollars for a pretty standard, but great home. When we move to, I don't know, Nashville or Texas or Florida, I'm able to buy a really baller home at $400,000. Well, what happens then is my mortgage payment gets cut roughly in half, which is saving me $3,000 a month. Does my spouse need to work to make up the hole that they used to have? No. So what you saw were people, spouses that left during COVID because they were forced to, and then people moved and changed around and they're not having to go back. They don't need that money. That's where the problems are. There's a lot of employment issues. Unemployment, definitely there's some issues there depending on what sector you're in, but employment's an issue. But the point of all this is simply we're at the convergence point where this problem is not gonna be solved anytime soon. This right here, the 5.8, this can't go up to 27 million overnight. By the way, when you can't build homes, right? This is what happened. The reason this dropped to 5.8 was almost no homes were built in 2007, 2008. Let me ask you all this. In your businesses, if you all didn't make a dollar for the next two years, what would happen to your business? You move, you leave, you start a new job. And it's nothing that you were doing wrong, right? Home builders weren't bad. They could have the best product and even then, I mean, look at this. Imagine this. Let's, let's take it one more step. In the prior decade, we built five times as many homes as we did this decade. Imagine if you were making 80% less money in your business compared to the prior decade. It weans people out. And of course, there's a lot of people that used to have companies aren't going to hop back in. They're afraid of it. So these just lead to problems. They lead to a supply, supply side issue. It's not gonna be solved anytime soon. So anyways, I wanna share that, Jesse, because what we're seeing is millennials now are wanting to get that next chapter started. If I had to guess, a lot of your buyers now are these millennials that are wanting to buy that home. They're wanting to hop in. And this balance issue is, where, is what explains the pain point here that we're all seeing that frankly, I hadn't, until I started seeing this, connecting the dots, I, I didn't see it. I was like, where's this coming from? But now hopefully that helps you all maybe see some of the dots that are connected. So anyways, I'm done rambling. In, incredible, Ravi, such good stuff. I hope people go back and re-listen re to that because that was a lot in the last few minutes. <laughs> no, in like in a good way. That is, yeah. and that, that is something that will help explain to sellers, to buyers. I mean, that's something that agents need to yeah. know. It, what people, what you need to be doing, again, you can just Google homes built by decade. You can find that. Um, and actually, if you want, should I just post that in the chat quick, the link? Yeah, drop it in. Um, I'll do that right now. Really what it comes down to is there's a lot of preconceived notions about things, about what's going on in the market. And there's a lot of fear, right? A lot of people think it's going to be 2007, 2008. Again, I don't blame them for that. It's just what's normal. We revert back to what we know. And it just isn't that. It's totally different. It's a total, and could it lead to a huge bubble? Maybe. Um, in a much different way, there's no doubt about it. But when bubbles get really dangerous when you have inflated demand for no reason, the inflated demand just makes sense in terms of demographics. The other thing that you all need to know is people are living longer. When people live longer, they stay in their homes longer. Well, what happens when you stay in your home longer? 
don't list your house. So there's a lot of these forces that are converging that we just haven't connected the dots on. You know, young people wanting to buy and get the next chapter started, start families. Older people that are staying in their home longer because they can, right? And by the way, who wants to go to a nursing home after what happened with COVID, right? So again, these things layer into the market, less supply. Well, if we have less supply, how do you increase it? You build more homes. That doesn't happen quickly. Most of your builders right now, if I had to guess, are six to 12 months out. Can I get some head nods if that's what you're seeing? Six to 12 months out before we can get you a home. I think that's gonna persist. So it's just, again, problems are just opportunities. You gotta look for the opportunity. And what I will say is, remember those four different levels? We got the, the cash buyer, we got the loan buyer with a high credit score, we got the lower credit score, no cash, and then the really low credit score, but they could buy a house with VA, FHA. Where you're gonna make your money, to be very honest, is follow up with the level three and four people, because guess what happens? They wanna buy a house, they wanna do it right now, the market conditions are not advantageous for them right now, so they keep delaying it and they rent. Well, stay in front of them, right? Eventually, you're going to buy a place, but this market is just not right for it. So stay in front of them, follow up. Those are some things. So any problem, you just got to look for the opportunity in it. So maybe it's a home building company. That's a good idea. Robbie, this is incredible, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. So good. I hope this guy's, you guys see the opportunity. I hope this helped affect some of your behavior patterns. I just got you excited because there's opportunity here. It is. I love this. All right, guys. Robbie, thank you. Thank you. Please reach out to Robbie. Do not Facebook message him. You can Snapchat him. You can Snapchat wasn't hacked. Facebook is hacked, but you can email him. Uh, we'll, we'll get you guys connected. Thanks for being. Uh, sounds good. Thanks, Jesse. Peace, y'all. Bye, guys. If you'd like more information or to get connected to the Agent Power Huddle, join our free Facebook group. This call was designed for the agents in our EXP organization, but open to any agent from any brokerage. If you're a guest and you're interested in learning more about EXP or our specific resources within the Agent Collective, reach out to the person who invited you to this call to get more info. Produced by the Agent Collective Media Network.